read a poem that uh, I wrote. It doesn't rhyme. <laughs> I walk out onto a dark stage. Uh, I walk out onto a stage in the dark. It's a big theater. In fact, I can't see the back of it. The three judges are sitting in front. I will be judged for my talents today. However, my performances are all over. I can do nothing but stand. The lights come on. As soon as my family and friends see me, they stand up and cheer. Then those behind them, who I prayed for once, and those who I gave my seat to on the subway, stand up and cheer. Next, those whose lives were changed when I gave money to charities and missions, stand up and cheer. The angels who are assigned to protect me and minister with me, stand up and cheer. Then the judge, who knows it all, the expert who is qualified. The judge stands up and starts to clap. He does not stand for everyone, even if others do. With that, the whole place erupts. All the people and the angels are on their feet, clapping and cheering, a loud standing ovation, and the judge is yelling out, well done, well done. I have been judged. It really was worth it all, I think. I opened my eyes back in my small apartment where I'd been praying that evening for my nephew and my translator. I can still hear the echo of the roar of the crowd of witnesses and his voice over it all. I am famous in heaven, my life validated. I am no longer scared of Judgment Day. I wanna talk about um, Judgment Day, the day of judgment for believers and unbelievers. Um, we were going through a series uh, in the spring and into the summer about our uh, statement of faith. And I was supposed to give this talk a while ago, uh, but I couldn't. And uh, I'm so glad they didn't give it to someone else because I was so excited to give this talk, not only about Judgment Day, but about the future, what the Bible says is gonna happen. Um, and uh, so in our statement of faith, if you go online, um, this is part of it. This is actually in the middle. <laughs> so I, th I think this is probably the end of the series <laughs> that we did. It says, we believe in the resurrection of every person to eternal life for the believer and eternal punishment for the unbeliever. So the Bible says quite a lot about what's going to happen in the future um, and what's to come. And uh, a lot of it is found in the book of Revelation. And in the uh, book of Revelation, uh, we find out that there's a period of time for seven years that's called the tribulation. And it's found in uh, Revelation, also in Matthew. In seven years where things are very difficult. And the Bible tells us that before that happens, that things will get uh, worse. It says that there'll be more famines and more wars. The Bible calls it the beginning of labor pains. And uh, when uh, people read the book of Revelation, I find that often it's kind of scary and a bit confusing, you know, um, because uh, a lot of times God writes in parables and abstract. In fact, he loves parables and abstract stuff. I don't know why he doesn't just tell us, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. It'd be so much easier. You know, even the disciples were like, Jesus, what were you talking about? And he says to them, ah, to you has been given understanding the keys. You know why they got it? Because they asked for it. They said, what does this all mean? 
And so I want to encourage you to ask God, what does this all mean? The uh, Bible tells us in Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. And so here I am talking to a royal priesthood, a holy nation that belongs to God. You are the church. That's what the Bible says we are, a royal priesthood. So you kings, you royalty, search it out. That's your job. That's your glory to search it out. And the thought that it's kind of scary or confusing is really an ungodly belief because God is awesome. He is love. He is wonderful. His plan for the world is the most beautiful, awesome plan there is. It's a perfect plan. It's the best plan ever. It is so amazing how perfect God's plan is. You know, when we read it and we think this is kind of confusing and a little bit scary, we need to ask him, God, what does this mean? Like, this is so, his plan is wonderful. His plan is the best way to get the most people to believe in him, right? That's his goal, that we would all spend eternity with him in paradise, loving him and him loving us, because we were made for love. We were made for love. We weren't made for the tribulation. We were made for love, <laughs> you know? So he wants us to be excited about this, about, you know, what we can do with him. When uh, Moses uh, went to the Pharaoh in Egypt and he said, let my people go, let the Israelites go who are in slavery, God's plan was not to terrify his people. God's plan was to free his people. God's plan that his people would be part of his plan. Moses and Aaron got to be part of his plan. And these, like... You know, in Egypt, God sent all these judgments, right? There's locusts, and there's cattle dying, and stinky frogs, and, you know, if you read that, that's also a little bit scary sometimes when you read through the judgments, if you think if I were really there. But Moses and Aaron, they joined with God in the plan, and do you know what? Some Egyptians joined too. It says that Egyptians joined them and left with them. You know, that's our part of the plan. When hard times come... When tribulation comes, when the beginning of labor pains come, the part of God's plan that we get to be involved with is we say, you don't have to be a slave. You can come into the freedom and the kingdom of God. Come with us. We know what's going on, and God is wonderful. You know, that's the church's place in the end times. His plan is beautiful. His plan is beautiful. It is so good. It is so good. His plan is awesome. I love the book of Revelation. There's so, do you know what it says at the beginning of the book of Revelation? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelations reveals who Jesus is. That plan reveals who Jesus is. Like, I want to know that. I want to know who Jesus is. It is so cool to read through Revelation and see, oh, here's Jesus right here. Here's Jesus here. This is what he's like here. He gives seven years for people to come to him. You know, he gives signs and wonders. The Bible says we won't know the day, but we know the seasons. We're called to know the seasons. He says he doesn't do anything without revealing it to his prophets first. You know, we can be a part of his plan, and I want to be a part of his plan because it's really cool. <laughs> okay, we'll go to the next slide. So um, 
Matthew 24, 27 says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be with the, son, with the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus was on earth, he told his disciples he's coming again. And in the Bible, there are many, many verses that say he is coming again. And um, when I used to uh, pray about Jesus coming again, I would pray like this. Dear Jesus, I know you're coming again, but don't come yet. Because I'm not married. And I don't have kids. You can come after that, okay? <laughs> That's how I pray. You know, and after I have kids, of course, I want to see them grow up. And I want to see grandkids. I want to see them grow up. So just before I die, Jesus, come back then. <laughs> I know, it sounds funny, but that was truly the desire of my heart. Don't come yet was the prayer of my heart. Um, and I think I've, some of you have heard this testimony of mine before, but um, in the year that Trevor and Zuska got married, eight of my friends got married. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't just like acquaintances. Um, Trevor and Zuska and Mike and Carrie are my best friends in the church, and Trevor and Zuska got married. And then um, a girlfriend who's been a good friend of mine since I was five got married, and another one since I was eight. It was good friends. And they were people my age, not all in their 20s like Zuska. <laughs> and... Uh, and, you know, after, like, you're done school and a whole bunch of your friends get married, I kind of felt like, you know, I missed, the fo I missed the boat the first time, and here I was missing it the second time. Like, <laughs> I was like, God, what is going on? And that year was a really hard year for me. I, um, I didn't leave my apartment as much as I normally did. I did a lot of prayer, and uh, I didn't have a lot of energy. I didn't clean as much as I normally clean. And... Um, <laughs> I watched a few more movies than I normally do. I had a hard time of it. And in that year, Jesus really um, showed me more of who he is. Really, I'm so glad for that year. It changed the way I see him. Um, in Colossians 2:17, it says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And these is talking about the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law is a shadow of things that are to come. And we'll go to the next slide. So Ephesians 5, 31 to 32 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So the... Marriage is part of the Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law is a shadow of things that are to come. In that year, what Jesus showed me was that marriage is a shadow of our relationship with Jesus in eternity. It's a shadow. So no um, groom ever on his wedding day looks at his bride and says, I'm so sad it's not sunny because I miss your shadow right? They're not sad that they can't see their bride's shadow because the bride is there. And Jesus said to me that year, Amanda, you're not going to be sad if you die single with no kids because I'm going to be there in the shadow of what marriage is. You're going to have the real thing. You're not going to be sad that you missed it. You can't be sad of a shadow when you have the real thing. Oh no, I don't have the shadow of my chocolate bar. <laughs> Right? It's funny, right? But that's what I was saying. Don't come, Jesus. I want the shadow. I want the shadow. Show me that eternity is going to be 
you know, we're made for love. That's what we're made for. Eternity is loving God forever and him loving us. And the best day I've ever had, the happiest I've ever felt is worse than I'm ever going to feel in eternity. You know, because his love is going to be so wonderful and so awesome. And I'm going to want to be with him. And now, you know, in Revelation at the end, it says the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus. And now I can really and honestly say, come, Lord Jesus, today. Come on my wedding day. Come the day before my kid's going to be born. Come now, Lord Jesus, because I really want you to come. I really want you to come. So when he comes again, I am so excited. I really hope I'm alive for that day. You know, it's okay if I, I die and go to heaven first, and then I see that day from that side of eternity. But I really hope I'm, I'm here for the day Jesus comes again, because that's exciting. When he comes through the clouds, and we're like, yes, yes. See, I told you he was coming. Here he is. You better watch out. He's going to get you now. <laughs> right? Because he loves me. He's my big brother. He's my groom. He's my friend. And you people who did bad things to me and haven't repented, watch out. He's mine. He's coming now on the clouds. Come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> That's what I say now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so after, um, after Jesus comes, the Bible talks about a millennium. So in Revelation 20, you can read about this. So Jesus is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. And an archangel is going to take the devil and throw him into a pit so, and with all of the demons. So the devil will have no authority, no power um, for those a thousand years. So for those a thousand years, as people live on the earth, um, it's going to be very much a lot easier to become a Christian in those years because there's no deception, right? There's no deception. There's no... Um, no demons uh, hurting you, you know, that kind of thing. But the Bible tells us that at the end of a thousand years that the um, devil is released from the, from the prison, from the pit, and he goes and he gathers. It says Gog and Magog. Okay, so he goes and gathers people. So there's still people who, even though there's no deception, choose to be their own God. They choose that I don't want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to be God. And I think, how deceptive is pride? How deceptive is pride? For those thousand years, there's no deceiver, but people are so proud that they still think that they can be God. You know, because the fallen nature says, I am God. And the born-again nature, the born-again spirit, the new spirit, the new man says, Jesus is God. You know? And I just think, oh, Father, like, help us and help those we love not to be deceived, to choose you as God and not to want to be God ourselves. Okay, so we're going to go to the next slide. I want to talk about the judgment for unbelievers. Judgment for unbelievers. So we're going to read Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. In the next slide. Yeah. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And next. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer the Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least one of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So the judgment for people who don't believe is really horrible. It is eternal. And I want you to notice that in this passage, the lake of fire, the judgment, was not prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Because, as I said before, we were made for love. God's plan is that we will live with him for eternity in paradise, just love, in love. Um, but in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the world... God said, I don't want that sin to be eternal. So, so he made a place for it to go so that it wouldn't, we wouldn't have to keep it forever, our sin. So when we hold on to our sin, when we say we're not going to let it go, the sin is thrown into the lake of fire. Death and sickness is thrown into the lake of fire, the Bible tells us. So when we hold on to it, then we also receive that judgment. That's not what God wants. It says it's not his desire that any perish, right? God's desire is that um, we would live with him forever. You know, uh, in Luke 16, 19, there's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I really love that parable because it's the only parable where he names someone. Lazarus is the only name we're given in a parable. And Lazarus um, is the name of his friend, Right? And at the end of the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, Jesus tells the rich man, listen, I'm not sending, I'm not sending, your, uh, I'm not sending anyone back from the dead to tell your brothers that they're wrong, that they have to follow me. I'm not sending anyone back from the dead because even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe. See, it was Lazarus who rose from the dead. And... Lazarus rose from the dead, and they still didn't believe. 
know, Jesus knew what he's talking about. And in this parable, the rich man, he's talking to Abraham because uh, Lazarus is in heaven, which they called Abraham's bosom. And he says to Abraham, tell Lazarus, just come with like a little bit of his finger in water and touch the tip of my tongue because I'm in agony here on fire. You know, the judgment for believers is eternal. They're in agony and they're on fire. He could have asked for anything, right? Like he's talking to Abraham. He could have said, give me this or that. What does he say? A little bit of water on the tip of my tongue. That was the desire of his heart while he was in hell or Hades. It is not a good place. And when we get a view of really how severe the judgment is, it gives us a heart for people who don't yet know him. And like I said, that's not God's will. So what did he do? What did he do? Because he knows about this judgment. He sent his son, Jesus. Right? So we are, when we have sin, the, the payment that we have to pay, the judgment is death. The judgment is death for sin. And God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life. So he could live in heaven because he didn't have any sin on him. He could live in that perfect place. But he paid the price for our sin. He died and paid the price of death so that we wouldn't have to pay our own debt. But he gives us a choice. You can take this gift or you don't have to. It's a choice. You can love me, but you don't have to. You can choose me as your Lord, or you can choose to be your own Lord, right? It's a choice. And so when we choose him, he pays the price for our sin so that we don't have to have this judgment. He pays the price. And then we give our life to him, because by then we know that's the best move anyway, because he loves us. He knows more than me. He loves me completely. There's no greater love you'll ever have. Not even your mom loves you as much as God does, (laughs) of all the loving people in the world, I think moms are the most loving, (laughs) you know? (laughs) You can do a gazillion things and your mom will still love you, but not even your mom loves you as much as Jesus does. You should really pick him. You should really pick the Father. He loves you way more than your mom. He has such your good at heart. Of course I'm going to give him my life. He knows more than me. He loves me more than anyone. He paid the price for my sin. I get to have eternity with him, loving him, where the best day now is my worst day ever in heaven. What a good choice. What a good choice. You guys made such good choices. (laughs) Well done, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. That's God's plan for us. And so I just want to say, um, the Bible says, uh, we can go to the next slide. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 10:9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. On that day when he separates the sheep from the goats, you will be saved. And so as a church, um, I'd just like us to declare Jesus is Lord. You ready? Here we go. Jesus is Lord. One more time. Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you've believed that for the first time today, I just want to say welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the family of God. Because these guys are really great people. I really like them. A whole lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, if if you've decided today that's what you want, that's a good choice for you, please let us know. Please let us know. Okay, so we're going to go on to the next slide. Okay, here is some good news. 
the believers, we get a new body. <laughs> so um, what happens is Jesus comes again, right? Jesus is coming again. And uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 to 53, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and mortal with immortality. And also in the next slide, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17, it says, According to the Lord's word, word, we will tell you that we who are still alive, me, Lord, please, me, Lord, still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is the word that Jesus uses and the Bible uses for Christians who have died. So fallen asleep, people, Christians who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So right now, when Christians die, our spirit goes to heaven, right? In heaven, you don't need a body. It's a spirit place. So only Jesus is the only one with a physical body in heaven because he already has his resurrected body. So um, when he comes again, so in the clouds, then what happens is the people who have been uh, in heaven, their spirits come with him and their bodies rise from wherever we buried them or wherever they were at sea or wherever we sprinkled them here, there, and everywhere because that was their wish. Right? So people are rising up from the ground, rising, rising up to meet their spirits in the air, right? And they have a new body in their spirit. And then we who are left, we raise up, and in a twinkling of an eye, right, our body is changed to the new body. And if you want to know what your new body is going to be like, you can read about Jesus' new body in the Gospels at the end and in Acts. So it tells us that Jesus in his new body was able to go here, there, and everywhere just like that. He was able to walk through walls, and he was able to eat fish. In fact, he ate fish a lot because his best friends were fishermen, <laughs> is my thought about that. <laughs> so, so that's what our body is going to be like. There's going to be no more sickness, no more pain. You're going to look the best that you've ever looked, but it still looked like you. My mom says in her new body, she's going to be able to sing and dance at the same time and praise God. <laughs> you know, I'm really looking forward to my new body. I think that'd be really great. You know, uh, it talks about throwing off the shackles, and I, just, I think it's going to be so great. And I can't wait to see all of you guys, too. are going to look so beautiful. It's so great. So that's the new bodies that we get when we rise that people have. Okay, and so next slide, the judgment for believers. So um, I used to be a little bit afraid of the judgment day because I had heard in church that on judgment day, we all sort of sit down in a theater and um, our whole life is played up on a screen for everyone to see. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, please no. I really don't want every one of you to see my whole life on the screen. That's not so good. <laughs> and that's what they said. And then we get judged for the good and bad things we did. That's what I had heard at church. And I was like, that does not sound like a good day. <laughs> to me, it just doesn't. <laughs> um, and so 
you know, as I got to know God a bit better and as I read a bit more, I came to understand more about Judgment Day. And that's where part of that poem came from. So Psalm 103, verse 12 says, So far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, so I was feeling a little bit better when I sort of really took that in. You know, okay, my transgressions are far removed from me, not in front of me on a screen, far removed from me are my transgressions. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> really, really thank you, Jesus. Um, and then I started noticing in the Bible that um, Jesus would give things that we could do and the reward attached to it like specific things. So in the Beatitudes, in uh, Matthew 5, verse 3 to 12, he says, blessed are these people, they're going to get this. Blessed are these people, they're going to get this. And of course, some of those things we might be able to receive here right now. But some of them, I'm pretty sure in the future. For example, the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure that anyone on earth has received the full kingdom of heaven yet. And that's listed as a reward. Also, the earth, the meek are going to inherit the earth. I think if the meek had fully inherited the earth, there probably wouldn't be any pollution left. Like, I think that it would be a lot different than it looks now. I think the full um, expression of that promise is in eternity. And that perhaps on Judgment Day, what happens is he says, you are meek, here's the earth. <laughs> you know? You are this, here's the kingdom of heaven. Also in Revelation uh, chapters 2 to 3, Jesus writes to the churches through John. And at the end of every letter, he says, blessed is the person who does this, they will get this. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Like, we can see if I do specific things, if I work on specific things, there will be specific rewards in eternity. And... Uh, Paul talks about running the race to receive the prize. And I don't think he's talking about the prize of salvation. Because if you run the race to receive the prize of salvation, that sort of indicates that you do something and then you get salvation. But Paul preached salvation by grace, salvation by faith, that you believe and you have salvation. So I think the prize that he's running for is the prize that God showed him. If you do these things, you will receive this prize. You know, the Bible says that God prepared good works in advance for us to do. I have good works that I'm supposed to do. You have good works you're supposed to do. You know? And then sometimes I hear people say, you know, but I don't want to do good works for a prize. No, Jesus is enough for me. I think, yeah, that's so true. That is true in a way. However, why would Jesus tell us, do this and you'll get that, if he didn't want us to do it? That seems kind of silly to me. Like, he's saying, Jesus is saying, go be meek, and I'm going to give you the earth. You know, like, he's telling us to do it. He knows that's a good way to motivate us, and he wants to give us rewards. It is his desire on Judgment Day to give us rewards. You know, and it's true. When we see Jesus, nothing will compare to him. Now, those rewards are going to impact our heart. Because it's going to mean that our time and our money and our effort and our prayers and our tears and our sweat meant something. It meant something. And we have a reward. We have something to show what our life meant. So I do think it will touch our hearts. I do think they will mean something to us. I do think other people will be able to see them. We will be able to walk around and see. The Bible says that our 
bodies will shine as one star shines in another. Now, stars have various levels of brightness. You know, one star is not as bright as the other. They're all beautiful. They all sing morning songs. They're all bright and twinkly. Little kids sing about them every day. <laughs> we're going to have bodies. It says we're going to be like stars, but they do differ. What you do in this life does matter. It will differ in eternity. Jesus says, you know, do this and you'll receive this. Paul says, run the race to receive the prize. And you know what the best part is? We receive the prize and we see Jesus. And do you know what happens in front of Jesus every day? The book of Revelation tells us that people are in front of him singing, holy, 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 and they cast their crown before him. It says they keep casting their crowns before him. So that crown is something that they have that they can honor Jesus with, and they want to honor Jesus with it. They don't have eternal crowns. They have one crown. They cast it at Jesus' feet. He says, no, no, that's yours. And they say, no, 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 I'm giving it to you. And he says, no, no, that's yours. They say, no, no, I'm giving it to you. When we have awards, like we have rewards, we're going to be saying, Jesus, you are so awesome. You are so wonderful. You're so beautiful. You fulfill my life. You give me joy. I want to give you the rewards. He'll say, no, no, those are for you. No, I want to give you rewards. No, no, those are for you. Imagine being able to give Jesus something that matters to you, something that your life represents, your whole life work, your whole life work. He gives you a reward, and you say, Jesus, I lay this at your feet. You know what? The rewards touch our heart, and then when we lay them at his feet, that touches his heart. Imagine being able to touch Jesus' heart. Like, that's really cool. This is the judgment day. Judgment Day is not a bad day for us, church. It's not a bad day for us. Judgment Day is an awesome day for us. It's a day to look forward to. It's a really great day. I love the thought of Jesus coming again in Judgment Day. It is a good day for us. It's a good day. Okay, so the next slide. So the Bible tells us that heaven and earth come together in Ephesians 1, verse 10. And I like the New King James version of this. All the rest is NIV, but this one I like the New King James better. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So he's gathering everything together, heaven and earth, right? Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So it talks about this new heaven and earth that's coming together. And what I really, really like about this thought is that this is the day when creation is redeemed. See, when we sinned, like in the Garden of Eden... Nothing died. There was no death, right? So the flowers didn't die in the Garden of Eden, right? The trees didn't die. The animals didn't die. Nothing died in the Garden of Eden. Creation was free, right? Creation was free. And then we sinned. We chose to be our own God. We chose that we thought we knew more than God. And sin came into the world and death came into the world and creation started to die. So the next slide says, Romans 8, 19 to 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, 
in the hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up until this present time. See, creation praises God. The Bible tells us that trees clap and sing, that rocks cry out. You know, that creation is more alive than we could ever think. In um, the Narnia books written by C.S. Lewis, he talks about uh, trees dancing and doing war for him. That's more true than what we see right now. You know, creation loves God. Creation praises God. And you know what? God loves creation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not people, the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, creation is waiting for us to have judgment day. That death and sin and sickness is thrown into the lake of fire and creation is redeemed, healthy and whole again like it was at the beginning. We get to see the rocks and trees cry out. We get to see them dancing. They worship with us. And Jesus, I'm going to be worshiping more than creation. (laughs) You know, creation is waiting for that day when heaven and earth come together, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. You know, that's a really good day. That's a really good day. Okay, so the next slide. So what is eternity like? The Bible says we don't know half of it, that half of heaven has never been told. But some of my favorite things about it, um, you can find in Revelation 21 and 22, the streets are made of gold. Everyone knows that. But did you know that the foundation of uh, New Jerusalem is made of precious gems? So one day, I think there's like 12 or something precious gems. So one day I looked them all up on Wikipedia, although Wikipedia doesn't have them all. And do you know that what I found, I was looking to see what colors they were going to be. I thought, what colors are the foundation of New Jerusalem going to be in eternity? You know, I don't know. So I looked it up. Most of them in their pure form are see-through. I thought, wow, I wonder if like eternity with God, like everything's kind of see-through. It's 3D, but see-through. So I can see you right here, but then I can look through the wall and see the people like over there and then look farther and over there. I don't know if that's true or not, but I was thinking it's kind of cool. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can read in the Bible about heaven, but not even the half is told. You know, like my mom says she's going to dance and sing, and um, I don't know, maybe we're going to learn how to fly or, uh, you know, I think that'd be cool. I think, you know, there's just, eternity is going to be really fun. And it's hard for us to imagine having fun for eternity. Like if I think about it too long, my head starts to hurt. Because it's just so hard to, like, think about eternity forever and ever and ever because we get bored. Boredom is part of death. Boredom's part of death. That gets thrown to the lake of fire. Boredom is thrown into the lake of fire. We will never be bored again in eternity. Never, ever, ever. Isn't that great? I think, like, it's, it's so cool. Like, it's really so cool. And this is one of my favorite parts about heaven, John 14, 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? So this God, this Jesus who loves us and knows us better than anyone, since he went there, has been preparing a place for us. So somebody who knows you really well, more than, better than you even know yourself, has been preparing a place for you that's made for you, your own place. 
without kids, <laughs> you know, or distractions, without people wanting you to come to go to another meeting, a place without the loud neighbors, a place um, where your favorite ball team can be displayed everywhere without your brother telling you you're wrong. <laughs> this is a place prepared for you. Has your favorite music? Has your favorite books? Has your favorite food? Oh, and the food. In heaven, it talks about food. The Bible talks about food in heaven. In fact, now I can't remember where it is, but it even talks about meat in heaven. And I was like, what? I thought creation was going to be redeemed. I thought we'd all be vegetarians in heaven. I'm like, oh, no, creation groans, and then it just groans again. Like, <laughs> but no, like... <laughs> no, I'm thinking, you know, if God can do anything, he can prepare meat that was never alive for us to eat. <laughs> but like, yeah, it talks about a banqueting table, a banqueting table in heaven. You know, there's a marriage supper in the, uh, that we get to go to, the parable of the ten wise virgins. The wise virgins are the ones who get to go to the marriage feast. Now, I don't know about you, but I like wedding food. In fact, I like wedding food that's made specifically for me, like he's going to do. And you know what else the Bible says about that? It says that Jesus is going to serve us. That we come in and he serves us. That blew me away when I read that. I'm like, how can that be, Jesus? Like, that just didn't make sense to me. That's what a God we have. Prepares a place for us, knows everything about us, prepares a banquet for us, comes and serves us. Why would we want, want that God? Why would we not want that eternity? Why would we not be looking forward to judgment day, looking forward to eternity, looking forward to Jesus coming back? So the next slide. So I want to say, what a hope we have. There is nothing to fear, church. There's nothing to fear. Your God loves you. He's for you. You know, that day you are vindicated. That day all the wrongs are made right. That day all the sickness leaves. That day you are victorious with him because you chose the right way. You were so wise. You gave your life to him and he gives it back to you. He gives you eternal life. We have nothing to fear about the future. When we read the Bible and it says stuff we don't understand, we don't have to fear that. We can rejoice and be glad at what an awesome future we have. This is our hope, the hope to which we're called. This is our hope. We can rejoice. We can rejoice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what an awesome future we have forever with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Amanda. Would you like to say something, Elsie, or Mish? Thank you so much. Wasn't that wonderful? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Amanda. Let's just give her a 